So if you have your Bibles and turn Ecclesiastes chapter 9, I don't know, this whole book, really, we've been invited to think about life with the wisest man who ever lived. You know, there is something to skillful living. And as we've been through this book of the Bible to say how it might impact how we think about daily life. It's preserved in the word of God. It's it's really been, honestly, taking down a system that we kind of soak in. System of the world, system of how we think we ought to be living. And this wisest man says, wait, if you actually observe and look, you might want to change how you think about your life. It's, it's, it's actually pretty glorious. You know, we talk about it being sort of a somber book, or, boy, there's a lot of people who says, well, I don't like Ecclesiastes, talks about difficult things. But at the end of the day, what he's saying, especially today, is that you're free to actually enjoy the life that God's given you. We put all these burdens on ourselves to see your life is the gift of God. You can do that. You don't have to solve all the world's problems to enjoy a good meal and the love of family. As imperfect sort of as all these things may be and, and, and not to inflate your own importance in the midst of all that. Sometimes with all the marketing and all the societal pieces that we have, we have a tendency to think highly of ourselves or think we have impact. And the preacher says, you know what? Not sure you do. That's not a bad thing. That's maybe a good thing. What brings freedom to our lives today is the reality of death. Now, I'm going to have to prove that to you because you might not say, hey, wait a second, death, that's something we try not to look at too hard. And in fact, everybody in here has it looming over you because I know everybody in here is going to die. You're going to die. You may think, well, I've got a lot of time, but, but maybe you don't. You don't even know when that death is going to come, right? And, and because this reality is true, it starts to undermine what is otherwise the most controlling system that we're under. Governments use it. Religions use it. They, they manipulate people and how you live by doing what? Saying you can enjoy the pleasures of life, but your actions are more important. You're building something bigger. You're needed to act in ways that are bigger than you. So don't enjoy your life. Strive for something higher, better, and bigger. And in answer to that, this book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, it doesn't point to the judgment seat of Christ. It doesn't say, oh, you know what? God's watching you. Right? He doesn't point to sort of varying outcomes based on meritorious living. I mean, think about that. That's what we normally do. Instead, this man points directly at death. The one experience we're all going to have. And the reality of death is huge in how you and I should think about our lives on earth. We spend much of our lives avoiding that, of course, trying to squeeze out time and extend life, and life is precious and every breath counts, and it's no wonder we have plans on how you should spend your precious time. But, but at the end, there's one experience that gets us all, death. So I want to consider that with him. Follow his argument. See what he says. This is the preserved word of God for you and me today. 
Here we go. Death looms. Chapter 9, verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. We ended with this verse last week. You can't tell who God favors on earth. And you say, oh, wait a minute. Yes, I can. Can't you? I mean, wealth, right? The basketball player who gets $50 million a year. God favors him, right? Not the guy at McDonald's. Or you think, I know, I know who God favors. The celebrity Christian pastor who has a church of 10,000 people. Now, not the one who's struggling in their church closes. God loves good people and hates the wicked, right? That's kind of the point. And the point of this text is you actually don't know. You can't tell. Because, in fact, there is equality of outcome. I spend a lot of time, I don't agree with equality of outcome for our society, and I don't think you should either. We should be about equality of opportunity. Everybody gets opportunity, but there's different outcomes that God might have for different people. But in actuality, ironically, there is equality of outcome. What's it called? Death. Look what he says. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. See, the same event happens to everyone. The ones who pray and don't pray, the good people, the evil people, the upright and the wicked. And what's that? This is an evil that is done under the sun, he says. That the same event happens to all. It's not a good thing. He doesn't like it. It it doesn't follow what I think should happen, which is that good people are blessed and bad people are, are, are cursed. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Life is short. People are evil. And then comes the outcome. Death. You could take, I could take any one of you and I could stand you here and we could talk about it. And I know, I could, I could be the fortune teller. I could tell your fortune. What is it? You're going to die. Well, I don't care about that piece. I want to know all the other pieces. All, all the, what's going to happen here while I live and what's going to happen in this moment and this moment and that year and, and, and these things. What don't we want to look at? You're going to die. That's the equality of outcome, right? We ignore it. For every single person who lives, everyone experiences death. Thanks, Dex. Super positive. No, no, it, it actually is, but we got to get there. He who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun." So death, right, which is coming for everyone, equality of outcome, and it ends everything, he says. For everyone. 
It makes all your earning and collecting and gathering done. And as it happens to every single person, so while you're still alive, you hope for one more day, one more experience, more stuff, whatever says you're a living dog. That's better than a dead lion. It won't last, though. And when you do die, no one will remember you. All the things you loved and hated and longed for, gone. And, 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 and so here's the thing. How do you live knowing that? How do you live? Not, not in the first stage of the Kubler-Ross thing, which is denial. It's not a river in Egypt. It's a way we try and say, well, we're not going to look at something that's true. So we're not living in denial. We say this is true, right? I know that death is ahead of you and me and quickly ahead because the time goes so fast. And, and again, you might be 10 years old. You think, oh, I got lots of time. You, you might be 50, but 50 turns into 70. 70 is, whoa, wait a minute. It goes super fast. And, and then even the 10-year-old, you could die tomorrow. How do I live in that reality? That's what he's giving us today. It's a truth, right? It is absolutely not able to be argued in any sort of way that we're not all going to die unless the last trump sounds and Jesus comes before we die. I, I get that. But you got to feel I'm going to die. So how do I live? It's a little different than you might think for this man. Here it is. First, we've got to talk about enjoyment. Well, let's finish. Their love and their hate and their envy already perished forever. They have no more share in all this than under the sun. Yeah. So enjoyment is the first thing. So if I know death is coming, Solomon, Kehelleth, he says that leads actually to you being able to enjoy. What? Yeah, look what he says. He says, go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. You know, many of us, we come to church to sort of get moral instruction on how to live life, to figure out how to do more for God, to please God, to get His favor. And, and the preacher here says, God already approves because you're alive. You're a nobody. Your death is coming. You have this tiny time. You know what you should do? Enjoy your meal. It's not some sort of fatalistic, hey, you have a lost meal. What do you want, to, what do you want on your tombstone? No. He's saying, isn't he? God already approves of the moment of life you have right now because you are doing it. You have it. So in, enjoy the meal. Enjoy the pleasure in front of you. And in, in light of death looming, enjoy this right now, right? Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and your toil with which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. What is he getting at? This is actually a critical concept to understand life. What is he calling in his wisdom for? He's saying God has given you breath. Enjoy the breath. The word enjoy there means see it. Gaze at it. Don't miss it. 
It doesn't mean like hedonistic, hey, make sure we, the wine is flowing. No, it means, hey, your life is a gift, and, and you should be with what he has given you, not with what he hasn't. Don't covet. You can enjoy now. You're supposed to enjoy now. The season you're in, you shouldn't enjoy now because that may be all you have, right? That's what he's saying. God has blessed you with what you have right now. You know that. You don't know what he's giving you tomorrow. You know what he's giving you today. It's actually a, uh, that one of my kids really likes Taylor Swift. There's a Taylor Swift song called Ronin. It's talking about a little kid who's four years old and died with a neuroblastoma. It's a brain cancer. And the whole thing was the mom missing the little girl. Really, really well done. The, the captures the sadness of, you know, I love you to the moon and back. And how sad it is that we have this short time and it goes away so fast. But then there's this line at the end that maybe the miracle is that I got one moment with you. And I thought that was profound. And what he's getting. The miracle is I get one moment with you. The miracle is we get this moment. What is it? It's a gift of God. You're here and says you can actually say the breath that I have today, the thing that I'm doing now, you know what? God has blessed me with that. Don't miss it, you guys. Don't, don't miss this. It's, it's a gift of God to say this is what I have now. This gets to the heart of what Solomon is saying about life and light of death. You, you, should, you, you should be doing what you enjoy, right? He's not saying go sin. He, he's saying the system of not enjoying life in order to get some more stuff later, is not provable. In fact, to him, demonstrably false. He's not, he's not saying just live in the moment. We have goals, we have desires. I want to be something like when I was studying, I wanted to be a doctor. I, I, so I said, man, enjoy the studies because you're going to be a doctor. I was aimed at something. He's not saying don't aim at anything. <laughs> But he is saying, wait a minute, if what you're doing is buying into, do something hard now because you want to return later. Especially if that later transcends death, goes beyond death. Watch out. Right? Well, we talked a little bit about this last week, this idea of intrinsic and extrinsic reward. I, I'm, again, I'm not trying to throw big words at you, but this is an important concept for you to actually say. I, I'm, I'm living the Christian life. Because, because often I'm willing to not enjoy my life here with a system that says it's more important that I defer enjoyment to get more enjoyment later. And that's what he says is not true. <laughs> you guys are like, well, why am I in church today then? <laughs> I'd rather be out enjoying the beach. Well, that's the thing, right? I enjoy coming and worshiping in the house of God. I'm not saying hedonistically do whatever hedonist, but I'm saying, you know what? I, I want to come worship God. I want to come sing songs with you. I want to come go into the word of God with you. I want that. It's, it's an enjoying of this time to say, well, let's worship God together. If it's not, if you're like, I'm doing it so that God will bless me next week. Dude, go enjoy the beach. Because there's no promise that he'll bless you next week because you came to church on Sunday. Right? That sort of systematic thinking doesn't work, he says. Because if you're living for future reward, you might want to rethink it because 
if you're doing something because you enjoy worshiping now, that, that's, that's seeing the now. God's giving me this time where I get to come into this place and, and worship him. And I love it. The example I had beyond that was mowing the lawn. You know, if I mow my lawn because I enjoy a mowed lawn, and I do. You know, I bust out the mower and I mow it along. And yeah, I had a heart attack while I was doing it, so I have a little PTSD there. But I get the lawn mowed, and, and it looks fun. I like the look. I, that was great. I got the reward for it right there. That's the reward. I got a mowed lawn. If what I was doing is mowing it, so I hope my neighbor gives me 20 bucks because he wants my lawn cleaner, then I like it. That's an extrinsic reward. I'm doing it for something I'm hoping to get later. That's, he's saying, doesn't work. God's favor already given is what you have right now as you live your life. And this is the only way to live, Solomon says. Notice he, he's, not, he's not promoting sin. He's, he's just saying that the law, the instructions on moral living, can't promise eternal reward. The law is great to, to do intrinsically because you want to. But don't think that doing it for self-interested motive to get future blessing is going to get you anything. And what's his proof of that? Death. It comes for everybody. Now you might say, you might say, you might say, okay, I have one little argument for you. You might say, well, well but that's, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been given a new heart. Right now, I, now I don't have to choose to sin anymore. That is so good. And yes, hallelujah, that's great. So, so do what you want to do. Enjoy doing good things. If that's where your heart is. What, what brings you enjoyment today? Is baking at someone cookies? Fabulous. Do it for the enjoyment of it. What are you interested in? Live it, says Solomon. This isn't feelings-based, like go enjoy sin in the corner. This is saying, hey, if the gift is the time you have now, not to maximize, but to actually say, thanks, God. He might be happier with you hiking in the mountains, enjoying his creation, worshiping him, if that's an enjoyment of his gift that he gave you. You know those moments, don't you, when you you do something for the joy of helping someone else, and we could call those cup of cold water moments. Like, you know, they're not driven by feeling, but but the act itself is its own reward, and and therefore you're going to be shocked when Jesus brings it up in heaven. Because <laughs> you're like, no, 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 I was just doing it because I really wanted to give the guy a cup of water. It was really fun. I, I, I was in the moment. I wasn't... I wasn't, wasn't trying to send my good works ahead. Yeah. The law basically, a lot of times for us, as far as we use it, it, what it tends to do is to give us structures and limitations so that we know what we should do, but we don't want to do. I know what I should do, but, but at some level I don't want to do it because I don't do it. I know I should obey the speed limit, but honestly, it's more fun to speed. Plus, it gets me there faster. So even logically or whatever it is, I, I may not do it because I'm afraid of the negative consequence, or I may do it because I want the positive consequence, but, but I don't want to do it because I, I love it. I can't say what David said in the Psalms, how I love your law, O oh God, and, and with any sort of, 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 of long-term truth. The reward doesn't work. 
And Solomon's idea of the word not working is because death happens to everybody. Death ends it all. There's not something better you should do so that later on you'll get it back. Okay? So that, that's enjoyment. There's, there's not just enjoyment. There's, there's achievement that's going on here. So, but, but I'm supposed to climb. I'm supposed to achieve, right? Okay, think about it with me, with him. Verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying there's no hope in yourself, right? I mean, we logically can't get around this. What he is saying is it's not just that it's good to be fast, it's good to be strong, it's good to be wise, it's good to be intelligent, all these sort of characteristics like, yeah, that's cool, I want all those things. But he's saying, actually, the outcomes for being that way aren't logically followable. It's not just the tortoise and the hare. Everybody knows that fable, right? But he's saying, actually, when you look at people who are fast, they don't always win the race. When you look at people who are strong, they don't win the war. What, 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 what interferes with that? Time. Chance. Ever heard it's better to be lucky than be good? It's along those things, right? It, it seems like luck, but actually whose plan is it? God's. God's got a plan. Well, I know how to manipulate God. I'll be a good person. No, that's what he's saying. It doesn't work. Not only that there aren't any good people, but God doesn't work that way. You can't plan out achievement. Wise people don't earn more bread. Intelligent people aren't richer. You, you can't plan it out. And, and, and that's the way it is. God knows it. And, and it's not that he's somehow not sovereign. It's got to be his plan, says Solomon. I know, I know, I know God has a plan. I know, I know, I know that he's omniscient and omnipotent. And we have this God in heaven who's made everything. We have Jesus who holds everything together at the word of his power. And then these things are happening. Who's got to be in charge? God didn't go away and say, well, you know what? I'm just not powerful enough for that. So he's observing with wisdom that if you're strong, you don't always win. If you're fast, you don't always finish first. Why? Because time and chance happen. Those aren't anti-God things. They're anti-my system things. Right? Because if being a Christian is striving to be a strong, wise, intelligent, generally good and knowledgeable person, bam, that's not going to work for what you hope to get. Because time and chance happen to everybody. None of them can be counted on. You just don't know your time. You and I are like fish in a net, he says. You and I are like birds in a snare. We're trapped. We're trapped. It doesn't matter how awesome you think you are. You're trapped. And, and then suddenly, boom, you're done. Because what happens? Death. Well. But relative value, right? I mean, I still want to be wise and intelligent and smart and strong. Well, let me tell you a story, says Solomon. 
I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. It seemed great to me. See, Solomon's thing, Kehillah's thing is wisdom, right? Wisdom, great wisdom. So I saw this thing about wisdom, and it seemed really important to me. Let me tell you this little story, he says. He says, there was a little city with a few men in it. Weak. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. Oh, man, they're going to crush. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Oh, see, wisdom, and it stands up against strength, and you pit those together, and sometimes wisdom wins because you find a way to, to, to defeat all the siege engines, and, and you're the guy, and oh, you're poor, but you have wisdom, and woo! But here's the point, yet... No one remembered that poor man. What? He saved the whole city. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. See, he's saying it's, it's the same thing, right? For you to chew on in your own life that, that the reality of the thing you have is right in front of you. Doing it is still good, but the reward is doing it. Building a beautiful building results in a beautiful building, so you do it. Not, not, not that you're going to get something extrinsic later that's going to come back to you and you'll be remembered through time as the builder of the greatest building on earth. The extrinsic reward isn't there, but the intrinsic, oh, he did it. And so it was better that he did it than not did it. It happened. That's all. Wisdom is wisdom. Doing a thing skillfully is its own reward. And so he says the words of the wise in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So achievement and wisdom and skill is good, but sin still destroys everything. We're all sinners. Right, So achievement is wonderful for itself. Wisdom and skill and living is good, but good for enjoying life, for attaining the actual aim on earth that you're aimed for. The skill to build a building leads to a well-built building. It's not to reward in heaven or to accolades from other people. He says if you live for intrinsic values, that's what you should be doing because it's a gift of God that you have this little bit of time that you get to enjoy. See it. Look at it. Oh, God's given me a gift. Not deferring those in order to gain something later because you don't have later. So this is how death frees you. It frees you from having to worry about longevity. Enjoy your food and your family. Achieve as your heart desires, not for some grand scheme. You don't have access to know what God is doing. God does things that are beyond us and are often hidden. Okay. So that's helpful, right? That's helpful for how I live my life. I'm going to say I'm not aimed at some grand thing. I'm, I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to enjoy what God has given me and not covet, not want uh, what I don't have. I'm going to enjoy what God has given me. Fabulous. He doesn't give everybody the same, but everybody gets the same, which is we all die. 
Okay, these words, you know, they're not the final word on death for the Christian, but, but please, you have to first hear this message. God's ways are not findoutable. He does not promote or promise even equality of experiences. Oh, that is so evident all over. I don't even know why we would even think he does. Everybody we know has a different experience individually and even where you're born or, or, or what, what health condition you have or how much money you have or, or all the things that are going to happen in your life. And they're so different for every single person. And yet the outcome's all the same. We all die. Everybody. Good people, if there are any. Bad people, everybody in between. And the freedom that death brings then is what? Think it through with me. It's got to be a freedom from judgment. Walk it through. Because without death, or if there was just continuity all the way through, you and I would be maximizing every moment, or you should be, to gain future reward. Or perhaps even present blessing. Right? That's what I would be aimed at. We would, we would look at each other and we would judge. How are you doing for your future reward? How are you putting your stuff away for heaven? Now what, that ignores death. I, I don't care about death because, because death doesn't matter. So, so you're going to just keep on going. So, so there it is. Everything you do here, you're going to get something in heaven for. Maybe you still think this way. It was, it was Richard Niebuhr. He was analyzing the ironies of the history of the United States. He found, he said, this is a quote, the Calvinistic and Jeffersonian heritages combine to give the view that providence intervenes to punish vice and reward virtue. That's a belief, particularly American cultural belief. God is going to intervene to reward virtue and to punish vice here. So the, the, the problem with such evangelism, he wrote, self-interested, is that once we've persuaded someone that he should become a Christian because it's good for him or her, we have firmly implanted in them the idea there's something you'd better do in order to escape the threats and win the rewards. Do you see how perniciously bad that is? You see, you see, now that you know what you should do, it's up to you to do it. God's far away. He's like, you know, the, you ever heard of the, the deuce ex machina? Kind of he winds up a clock and, he, and he, he, he set it all up and now he's kind of watching to see what you're going to do because who is it up to? You. What does this man say? It's not up to you. This is what Solomon is destroying. The idea that you can do to get from God. It is demonstrably untrue to him. Why? Because of death. Oh, it's better to be wise, but it's forgotten. Sinners destroy, and you're a sinner. And this, this touches how you were raised, almost certainly. There's another quote from a president of a seminary in Canada, William Hordern. He says this, you can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. Have you ever heard that? You can build up financial reserves in heaven where it will yield satisfying dividends throughout eternity. 
That's a quote that he's doing of someone else. He, and he writes this about it. He said, it would be difficult to find a more eloquent expression of works righteousness. In the writings of medieval churchmen against whom Luther, Luther and Calvin launched the Reformation. What? Why is it bad? I mean, did you understand what he's thinking, what the system is? Because, because he's saying, that quote is, is that by an effort of will, you can make yourselves do good deeds. But in order that you might be blessed later on. Do you think that's true? Do you think your deeds are good enough? Do you think they're done with the right motive? Right? Something like this, right? Something like this says, if I give away all that I have, do great deeds. If I deliver up my body to be burned, I'm, I'm going to be self-sacrificial. But I have not love, I've got nothing. Love. We're so curved in on ourselves. We are created to be curved outward on our neighbors. And we, we, we are supposed to want to do good. What, what, what is the heaven reward thing? It's not that I want to do good. It's that I will do good in order that I might be bigger later. Do you see the problem with that? What is it focused on? You being big in heaven. Is that going to work? Okay. The answer is no. It's not going to work. I, because it's all about you. It's remarkable that we focus so much on judgment. Well, but, but that's, whoa, 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 wait. We must all appear before the, the judgment seat of Christ. Have you heard that? I've heard that one. What? what no, 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 don't, be, don't, don't do that. Think it through with me because you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know what he's going to say to you? I mean, we as believers should be the most confident people ever about the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because Jesus shed his blood for me. What is he going to say? You're forgiven. Oh, oh yeah, but, 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 but I've, well, while I was on earth, I, I didn't do all the great things I was supposed to. Forgiven. But, but I was supposed to do more good things. Oh, my righteousness for you. Here, be clothed by the righteousness of Christ. Here, be covered by the blood of Christ. And we live like it's not true. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, you are, and, he's, and, and, and your hope is going to be what? You're not going to stand there and say, let me list for you all the ways I did great stuff with you so that I'll be great in heaven. He'll say he never knew you. Instead, we as Christians are going to say, Jesus, I throw myself at your feet. And he's going, yeah, you're mine, kid, because you are. And see, so your life on earth is about you actually enjoying the gifts that he's given you. Sure, he's going to use you. Don't make any mistake. You'll bear fruit. I want to bear fruit. But the fruit I'm going to bear is me actually focusing on the gift that he gives me, which is the life that I actually have. Enjoying it. I want to bless somebody. It's super fun. You should. It's so cool. It's really fun to do. Find somebody to bless. It's amazing. And that's your own reward that you did it. And heaven's about what Jesus did for you. Through you even. Jesus did that, right? 
I mean, that's what the whole action that we have is the action of Christ on our behalf. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians 15. It says the sin of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. How? Through our amazing works on earth. No! Through Jesus Christ our Lord. He did it. And what is he going to do? He's going to take your body of sin and death that dies, and we all die because we've all sinned, and and there we go, we die. And then he's going to do what with it? Resurrect us. Yeah, I'm living forever because of the power of Jesus Christ for me. I'm not living forever because of the 14 times I came to church and the 15 Hail Marys I said and the 20 times I served the homeless and the $20,000 I gave to somebody. No, I'm I'm none of that, right? It's all about what Jesus Christ has done for me. Full stop. That's what we have. And even then, as he says there, and keeps going, I'll read the rest of verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Sounds like, oh, i got to go work. No, abounding in the work of the Lord, which is what? Trusting Jesus. Believe in the one whom he said. We're talking about we all die. We're not talking about death doesn't matter. Death clears the field for everyone. And then Jesus resurrects the dead. Me to eternal life in him because I trust him. You too, do you trust Jesus? He's amazing and he's your only hope you're ever going to have. Not any of your works here. And, And at the end of the day, that frees you. Do not have to judge your works here. You actually get to do and live the moment that you have because it goes like that and it's over. I remember when I was 18 winning state cross-country championships. It was so fun. I'm not anymore. Barely run a mile. It's all going to go so fast. But I know this with all my heart, that Jesus Christ raises the dead. And we're all dying, so your only hope is in this Jesus. You will not avoid death. It looms. But... It frees us who are Christ from thinking we have to accomplish something here. You, you will, but he'll accomplish it through you, you know. This is not the end, our death, but it's entirely not our work or ability. It is all his. He will bring us home. He'll provide a place, and it's the best news ever. Thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear death, but would you let it free you to actually enjoy the life that he's given you here?